The figure ran through the shadows of the fly-loft, cloak billowing round it. Nanny Og was outlined against the light, peering down. She said, without turning her head, "'Hello, Mr. Ghost. Come back for your saw, have ya?' Then she darted around behind the cable until she faced the shadow. "'Millions of people knows I'm up here. You wouldn't hurt a little old lady, would you?' "'Oh, dear. Me poor old heart.' She keeled over backwards, hitting the floor hard enough to make the cable swing. The figure hesitated. Then it took a length of thin rope from a pocket and advanced cautiously towards the fallen witch. It knelt down, wound an end of the rope around each hand and leaned forward. Nanny's knee came up sharply. <gasps> Feels a lot better now, mister, she said as she reared backwards. She scrambled up again and grabbed the saw. Come back to finish it, eh? she said, waving the implement in the air. Wonder how you'd blame that on Walter. Make you happy, would it, the old place burning down? The figure moving awkwardly backed away as she advanced. Then it turned, lurched along the wobbling catwalk and disappeared into the gloom. Nanny pounded after him and saw the figure climbing down a ladder. She looked around quickly, grabbed a rope to slide after him and heard a pulley somewhere above start to clatter. She descended, skirts billowing around her. When she was about halfway down, a bunch of sandbags went upwards past her in a hurry. As she rattled onwards, she saw between her boots someone struggling with the trapdoor to the cellars. She landed a few feet away, still holding the rope. Mr. Salzella? Nanny stuck two fingers in her mouth and let out a whistle that could have melted earwax. She let go of the rope. Salzella glanced up at her as he raised the trapdoor and then saw the shape dropping out of the roof. 180 pounds of sandbag hit the door, slamming it shut. Watch out, said Nanny cheerfully. Bucket waited nervously in the wings. Unnecessarily nervously, of course. The ghost was dead. There couldn't be anything to worry about. People said they'd seen him killed, although they were, Bucket had to admit, a bit hazy on the actual details. Nothing to worry about. Not a thing. Nothing whatsoever in any way. Everything was absolutely nothing to worry about in any way. He ran a finger around the inside of his collar. It hadn't been such a bad life in wholesale cheese. The most you had to worry about was one of poor old Reg Plenty's trouser buttons in the farmhouse Nutty, and the time young Weavins minced his thumb in the stirring machine, and it was only by luck they happened to be doing strawberry yoghurt at the time. A figure loomed up beside him. He clutched at a curtain for support, and then turned to see, with relief, the majestic and reassuring stomach of Enrico Basilica. The tenor looked magnificent in a huge cockerel costume, complete with giant beak, wattles and comb. Ah, uh, senor, Bucket burbled. Uh, very impressive, uh, may I say? See, said a muffled voice from somewhere behind the beak, as other members of the company hurried past onto the stage. May I say how, how sorry I am about all that business earlier. I can assure you that it, it doesn't happen every night. <laughs> See, probably just high spirits. <laughs> the beak turned towards him. Bucket backed away. See. Yes, well, I'm, I'm glad you're so understanding. Temperamental, he thought, as the tenor strode onto the stage and the overture to Act Three drifted to its close. They're like that, real artistes. Nerves stretched like rubber bands, I expect. It's just like waiting for the cheese, really. You can get really edgy waiting to see whether you've got half a ton of best blue vein or just a vat full of pig food. It's probably like that when you've got an aria working its way up. "'Where'd he go? Where'd he go?' "'What? Oh, uh, Mrs. Ock. 
The old woman waved a saw in front of his face. It was not, in Mr. Bucket's current state of mental tension, a helpful gesture. He was suddenly surrounded by other figures, equally conducive to multiple exclamation marks. Perdita, wh why aren't you on stage? Oh, Lady Esmeralda, I didn't see you there. Of course, if, if you want to come backstage, you only have to... Where's Salzella? said Andre. Bucket looked around vaguely. He was here a few minutes ago. That is, uh, he said, pulling himself together. Mr. Salzella is probably attending to his uh, duties somewhere, which, young man, is, is more than I can say for... I demand you stop the show now, said Andre. Oh, you do, do you? And, and by what authority, may I ask? He's been sawing through the rope, said Nanny. Andre pulled out a badge. This. Bucket looked closely. Ankh Morpork, Guild of Musicians, Member 1244. Andre glared at him, then at the badge, and started to pat his pockets urgently. No, Blast, I know I had the other one a moment ago. Look, you've got to clear the theatre, we've got to search it, and that means... Don't stop the show, said Granny. I won't stop the show, said Bucket, because I reckon he'd like to see the show stopped. The show must go on, eh? Isn't that what you believe? Could he have got out of the building? I sent Corporal Nobbs to the stage door, and Sergeant Detritus is in the foyer, said Andre. When it comes to standing in doorways, they're among the best. Er, uh, um, er, uh, excuse me, er, uh, what's happening? said Bucket. He could be anywhere, said Agnes. There are hundreds of hiding places. Who? said Bucket. How about these cellars everyone talks about? said Granny. Where? There's only one entrance, said Andre. He's not stupid. He can't get into the cellars, said Nanny. He ran off, probably in a cupboard somewhere by now. No, he'll stay where there's crowds, said Granny. That's what I'd do. What? said Bucket. Could he have got into the audience from here, said Nanny. Who? said Bucket. Granny jerked a thumb towards the stage. He's somewhere on there. I can feel him. Then we'll wait until he comes off. Eighty people coming off stage all at once, said Agnes. Don't you know what it's like when the curtain goes down? And we don't want to stop the show, Granny mused. No, we don't want to stop the show, said Bucket, grasping at a familiar idea as it swept by on a tide of incomprehensibility. Or give people their money back in any fashion whatsoever. Um, what are we talking about? Does anyone know? The show must go on, murmured Granny Weatherwax, still staring out of the wings. Things have to end right. This is an opera house. They should end operatically. Nanny Og hopped up and down excitedly. Oh, I know what you're thinking, Esme, she squeaked. Oh, yes, can we? Just so as I can say I've done it. Eh, can we? Go on, let's. Henry Lawsey peered closely at his opera notes. He had not, of course, fully understood the events of the first two acts, but knew that this was perfectly OK, because one would have to be quite naive to expect good sense as well as good songs. Anyway, it would all be explained in the last act, which was the masked ball in the Duke's palace. It would almost certainly turn out that the woman one of the men had been rather daringly courting would be his own wife, but so cunningly disguised by a very small mask that her husband wouldn't have spotted that she wore the same clothes and had the same hairstyle. Someone's serving man would turn out to be someone else's daughter in disguise, someone would die of something that didn't prevent them from singing about it for several minutes, and the plot would be resolved by some coincidences which in real life would be as likely as a cardboard hammer. He didn't know any of this for a fact, he was making a calculated guess. 
In the meantime, Act Three opened, with the traditional ballet, this time apparently a country dance by the maidens of the court. Henry was aware of muffled laughter around him. This was because if you ran an eye at head height along the row of ballerinas as they tripped arm in arm onto the stage, there was an apparent gap. This was only filled if the gaze went downwards a foot or two to a small, fat ballerina in a huge grin, an overstretched tutu, long white drawers and boots. Henry stared. They were big boots. They moved back and forth at an astonishing speed. The satin slippers of the other dancers twinkled as they drifted across the floor, but the boots flashed and clattered like a tap dancer afraid of falling into the sink. The pirouettes were novel, too. While the other dancers whirled like snowflakes, the little fat ones spun like a top and moved across the floor like one, too, bits of her anatomy trying to achieve local orbit. Around Henry, members of the audience were whispering to one another. Oh, yes, he heard someone declare. They tried this in Pseudopolis. His mother nudged him. This supposed to happen? Uh, I don't think so. It's bloody good, though. It's a good laugh. As the fat ballerina collided with a donkey in evening dress, she staggered and grabbed at his mask, which came off. Herr Trubelmacher, the conductor, froze in horror and astonishment. Around him, the orchestra rattled to a standstill, except for the tuba player, Oompa, 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 who had memorised his score years ago and never took much interest in current affairs. Two figures rose up right in front of Trubelmucker. A hand grabbed his baton. Sorry, sir, said Andre, but the show must go on, yes? He handed the stick to the other figure. There you are, he said, and don't let them stop. Ooh, the librarian carefully lifted Herr Trubelmacher aside with one hand, licked the baton thoughtfully, and then focused his gaze on the tuba player. Oompa, 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 mm. The tuba player tapped a trombonist on the shoulder. Hey, Frank, there's a monkey where the old troublemaker should be. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Satisfied, the orangutan raised his arms. The orchestra looked up, and then looked up a bit more. No conductor in musical history, not even the one who once fried and ate the piccolo player's liver on a cymbal for one wrong note too many, not even the one who skewered three troublesome violinists on his baton, not even the one who made really hurtful, sarcastic remarks in a loud voice, was ever the focus of such reverential attention. On stage, Nanny Og took advantage of the hush to pull the head off a frog. Madam, sorry, thought you might be someone else. The long arms dropped, the orchestra in one huge muddle chord slammed back into life. The dancers, after a moment's confusion during which Nanny Og took the opportunity to decapitate a clown and a phoenix, tried to continue. The chorus watched in bemusement. Christine felt a tap on her shoulder and turned to see Agnes. Perdita, where have you been? she hissed. It's nearly time for my duet with Enrico. You've got to help, hissed Agnes. But down in her soul, Perdita said... Enrico, eh? It's Signor Basilica to everyone else. Help you what? said Christine. Take everyone's masks off. Christine's forehead wrinkled beautifully. That's not supposed to happen until the end of the opera, is it? Uh, it's all been changed, said Agnes urgently. She turned to a nobleman in a zebra mask and tugged it desperately. The singer underneath glared at her. Sorry, she whispered, I thought you were someone else. We're not supposed to take them off until the end. It's been changed. Has it? No one told me. A short-necked giraffe next to him leaned sideways. What's that? The big unmasking scene is now, apparently. No one told me. 
Yes, but when does anyone tell us anything? We're only the chorus. Here, why is old Troublemacker wearing a monkey mask? Nanny Og pirouetted past, cannoned into an elephant in evening dress, and beheaded him by the trunk. She whispered, We're looking for the ghost, see? But the ghost is dead, isn't he? Hard things to kill, ghosts, said Nanny. The whisper spread outwards from that point. There is nothing like a chorus for rumour. People who would not believe a high priest if he said the sky was blue and was able to produce signed affidavits to this effect from his white-haired old mother and three vestal virgins would trust just about anything whispered darkly behind their hand by a complete stranger in a pub. A cockatoo spun around and pulled the mask off a parrot. Bucket sobbed. This was worse than the day the buttermilk exploded. This was worse than the flash heat wave that had led a whole warehouse full of Lonkra extra strong to riot. The opera had turned into a pantomime. The audience was laughing. About the only character still with a mask on was Signor Basilica, who was watching the struggling chorus with as much aloof amazement as his own mask could convey, and this, amazingly enough, was quite a lot. Oh, no moaned Bucket. We'll never live it down. He'll never come back. It'll be all over the opera circuit and no one will ever want to come here ever again. Ever again what? mumbled a voice behind him. Bucket turned. Oh, Signor Basilica, he said. Didn't see you there. I was just thinking, I do hope you don't think this is typical. Signor Basilica stared through him, swaying slightly from side to side. He was wearing a torn shirt. Someone, he said. Uh, I'm sorry. Someone, someone hit me on the head, said the tenor. Ah, I want a glass of water, please. But you're just about to, to sing, aren't you? said Bucket. He grabbed the stunned man by the collar to pull him closer, but this simply meant that he dragged himself off the floor, bringing his shoes about level with Basilica's knees. Tell me, tell me you're out there on the stage, please. Even in his stunned state, Enrico Basilica, a.k.a. Henry Slug, recognised what might be called the essential dichotomy of the statement. He stuck to what he knew. Someone bashed me in a corridor, he volunteered. That's not you out there? Basilica blinked heavily. Not me? You're going to sing the famous duet in a moment? Another thought staggered through Basilica's abused skull. My? he said. That's good. I'll look forward to that. Never had a chance to hear me before. He gave a happy little sigh and fell full length backwards. Bucket leaned against a pillar for support. Then his brow furrowed, and in the best traditions of the extended double-take, he stared at the fallen tenor and counted to one on his fingers. Then he turned towards the stage and counted to two. He could feel a fourth exclamation mark coming on any time now. The Enrico Basilica on stage turned his mask this way and that. Stage right, Bucket was whispering to a group of stagehands. Stage left, Andre, the secret pianist, was waiting. A large troll loomed next to him. The fat red singer walked to centre stage as the prelude to the duet began. The audience settled down again. Fun and games among the chorus was all very well. It might even be in the plot, but this was what they'd paid for. This was what it was all about. Agnes stared at him as Christine walked towards him. Now she could see he wasn't right. Oh, he was fat, in a pillow-up-your-shirt sort of a way, but he didn't move like Basilica. Basilica moved lightly on his feet, as fat men often do, giving the effect of a barely-tethered balloon. 
She glanced at Nanny, who was also watching him carefully. She couldn't see Granny Weatherwax anywhere. That probably meant she was really close. The expectancy of the audience dragged at them all. Ears opened like petals. The fourth wall of the stage, the big black sucking darkness outside, was a well of silence begging to be filled up. Christine was walking towards him, quite unconcerned. Christine would walk into a dragon's mouth if it had a sign on it saying, Totally harmless, I promise you. At least, if it was printed in large, easy-to-understand letters. No one seemed to want to do anything. It was a famous duet, and a beautiful one. Agnes ought to know she'd been singing it all last night. Christine took the false basilica's hand, and as the opening bars of the duet began, opened her mouth. Stop right there! Agnes put everything she could into it. The chandelier tinkled. The orchestra went silent in a skid of wheezes and twangs. In a fading of chords and a dying of echoes, the show stopped. Walter Plinge sat in the candlelit gloom under the stage, his hands resting on his lap. It was not often that Walter Plinge had nothing to do, but when he did have nothing to do, he did nothing. He liked it down here. It was familiar. The sounds of the opera filtered through. They were muffled, but that didn't matter. Walter knew all the words, every note of music, every step of every dance. He needed the actual performances only in the same way that a clock needs its tiny little escapement mechanism. It kept him ticking nicely. Mrs Plinge had taught him to read using the old programmes. That's how he knew he was part of it all. But he knew that anyway. He'd cut what teeth he had on a helmet with horns on it. The first bed he could remember was the very same trampoline used by Dame Jiggly in the infamous Bouncing Jiggly incident. Walter Plinge lived opera. He breathed its songs, painted its scenery, lit its fires, washed its floors and shined its shoes. Opera filled up places in Walter Plinge that might otherwise have been empty. And now, the show had stopped. But all the energy, all the raw pent-up emotion that is dammed up behind a show, all the screaming, the fears, the hopes, the desires, flew on like a body hurled from the wreckage. The terrible momentum smashed into Walter Plinge like a tidal wave hitting a teacup. It propelled him out of his chair and flung him against the crumbling scenery. He slid down and rolled into a twitching heap on the floor, clapping his hands over his ears to shut out the sudden unnatural silence. A shape stepped out of the shadows. Granny Weatherwax had never heard of psychiatry and would have had no truck with it even if she had. There are some arts too black even for a witch. She practised headology, practised in fact until she was very good at it. And though there may be some superficial similarities between a psychiatrist and a headologist, there is a huge practical difference. A psychiatrist, dealing with a man who fears he is being followed by a large and terrible monster, will endeavour to convince him that the monsters don't exist. Granny Weatherwax would simply give him a chair to stand on and a very heavy stick. Stand up, Walter Plinge, she said. Walter stood up, staring straight ahead of him. It stopped! It stopped! It's bad luck to stop the show, he said hoarsely. Someone better start it again, said Granny. You can't stop the show. It's the show. Yes, someone better start it again, Walter Plinge. Walter didn't appear to notice her. He poured aimlessly through his stack of music and ran his hands through the drifts of old programmes. One hand touched the keyboard of the harmonium and played a few neurotic notes. Wrong to stop. Show must go on. 
Mr. Salzella is trying to stop the show, isn't he, Walter? Walter's head shot up. He stared straight ahead of him. You haven't seen anything, Walter Plinge, he said, in a voice so like Salzella's that even Granny raised an eyebrow. And if you tell lies, you will be locked up and I'll see to it that there's big trouble for your mother. Granny nodded. He found out about the ghost, didn't he? she said. The ghost who comes out when he has a mask on. Doesn't he, Walter Plinge? And the man thought, I can use that. And when it's time for the ghost to be caught, well, there is a ghost that can be caught. And the best thing is that everyone will believe it. They'll feel bad about themselves, maybe, but they'll believe it. Even Walter Plinge won't be certain, because his mind's all tangled up. Granny took a deep breath. It's tangled, but it ain't twisted. There was a sigh. Well... Matters will have to resolve themselves. There's nothing else for it. She removed her hat and fished around in the point. I don't mind telling you this, Walter, she said, because you won't understand and you won't remember. There was a wicked old witch once called Black Alice. She was an unholy terror. There's never been one worse or more powerful. Until now. Because I could spit in her eye and steal her teeth, see? Because she didn't know right from wrong. So she got all twisted up. And that was the end of her. The trouble is, you see, that if you do know right from wrong, you can't choose wrong. You just can't do it and live. So, if I was a bad witch, I could make Mr. Salzella's muscles turn against his bones and break them where he stood, if I was bad. I could do things inside his head, change the shape he thinks he is, and he'd be down on what had been his knees and begging to be turned into a frog, if I was bad. I could leave him with a mind like a scrambled egg, listening to colours and hearing smells, if I was bad. Oh, yes. There was another sigh, deeper and more heartfelt. But I can't do none of that stuff. That wouldn't be right. She gave a deprecating little chuckle, and if Nanny Og had been listening, she would have resolved as follows, that no maddened cackle from Black Alice of infamous memory, no evil little giggle from some crazed vampire whose morals were worse than his spelling, no side-splitting guffaw from the most inventive torturer, was quite so unnerving as a happy little chuckle from a Granny Weatherwax about to do what's best. From the point of her hat, Granny withdrew a paper-thin mask. It was a simple face, smooth, white, basic... There were semicircular holes for the eyes. It was neither happy nor sad. She turned it over in her hands. Walter seemed to stop breathing. Simple thing, ain't it? said Granny. Looks beautiful, but it's really just a simple bit of stuff, just like any other mask. Wizards could poke at this for a year and still say there was nothing magic about it. Hmm? Which just shows how much they know, Walter Plinge. She tossed it to him. He caught it hungrily and pulled it over his face. Then he stood up in one flowing movement, moving like a dancer. I don't know what you are when you're behind the mask, said Granny, but ghost is just another word for spirit, and spirit is just another word for soul. Off you go, Walter Plinge. The masked figure did not move. I meant, off you go, ghost. The show must go on. The mask nodded and darted away. Granny slapped her hands together like the crack of doom. Right, let's do some good, she said to the universe at large. Everyone was looking at her. 
This was a moment in time, a little point between the past and the future, when a second could stretch out and out. Agnes felt the blush begin. It was heading for her face like the revenge of the volcano god. When it got there, she knew it would be all over for her. You'll apologise, Perdita jeered. Shut up, shouted Agnes. She strode forward before the echo had had time to come back from the further ends of the auditorium and wrenched at the red mask. The entire chorus came in on cue. This was opera, after all. The show had stopped, but opera continued. Salzella! He grabbed Agnes, clamping his hand over her mouth. His other hand flew to his belt and drew his sword. It wasn't a stage prop. The blade hissed through the air as he spun to face the chorus. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, he said. How extremely operatic of me. And now, I fear, I shall have to take this poor girl hostage. It's the appropriate thing to do, isn't it? He looked around triumphantly. The audience watched in fascinated silence. Isn't anyone going to say, you won't get away with this, he said. You won't get away with this, said Andre from the wings. You have the place surrounded, I have no doubt, said Salzella brightly. Yes, we have the place surrounded. Christine screamed and fainted. Salzella smiled even more brightly. Ah, now there's someone operatic, he said. But you see, I am going to get away with it because I don't think operatically. Myself and this young lady here are going to go down to the cellars where I may possibly leave her unharmed. I doubt very much that you have the cellars surrounded. Even I don't know everywhere they go, and believe me, my knowledge is really rather extensive. He paused. Agnes tried to break free, but his grip tightened around her neck. By now, he said, someone should have said, but why, Salzella? Honestly, do I have to do everything round here? Bucket realised he had his mouth open. That's what I was going to say, he said. Ah, good. Well, in that case, I should say something like, because I wanted to, because I rather like money, you see. But more than that, he took a deep breath, I really hate opera. I don't want to get needlessly excited about this, but opera, I am afraid really is dreadful, and I have had enough. So while I have the stage, let me tell you what a wretched, self-adoring, totally unrealistic, worthless art form it is. What a terrible waste of fine music. What a... There was a whir off one side of the stage. The skirts of costumes began to flap. Dust flew up. Andre looked around. Beside him, the wind machine had started up. The handle was turning by itself. Salzella turned to see what everyone was staring at. The ghost had dropped lightly onto the stage. His opera cloak billowed around him operatically. He bowed slightly and drew his sword. But you're dead, Salzella began. Oh, yes, a ghost of a ghost. Totally unbelievable and an offence against common sense in the best operatic tradition. This was really too much to hope for. He thrust Agnes away and nodded happily. That's what opera does to a man, he said. It rots the brain, you see, and I doubt whether he had too much of that to begin with. It drives people mad! Mad! Do you hear me? Mad! <clears throat> they act irrationally. Don't you think I've watched you over the years? It's like a hothouse for insanity. 
Do you hear me? Insanity! He and the ghost began to circle one another. You don't know what it's been like, I assure you, being the only sane man in this madhouse. You believe anything! You'd prefer to believe a ghost can be in two places at once than that there might simply be two people. Even Pounder thought he could blackmail me, poking around in places that he shouldn't. Well, of course, I had to kill him for his own good. This place sends even rat catchers mad. And Undershaft, well, why couldn't he have forgotten his glasses like he usually did, eh? He lashed out with his sword. The ghost parried. And now I'll fight your ghost, he said, moving forward in a flurry of strokes. And you'll notice that our ghost here doesn't actually know how to fence, because he only knows stage fencing, you see. <gasps> Where the whole point, of course, is simply to hit the other fellow's sword with a suitably impressive metallic noise, so that you can die very dramatically, merely because he's carefully thrust his sword under your armpit. The ghost was forced to retreat under the onslaught until he fell backwards over the unconscious body of Christine. See said Salzella, that's what comes of believing in opera. He reached down quickly and tugged the mask off Walter Plinge's face. Really, Walter, you are a bad boy. Sorry, Mr. Salzella. Look how everyone's staring. Sorry, Mr. Salzella. The mask crumpled in Salzella's fingers. He let the fragments tumble to the floor. Then he pulled Walter to his feet. See, company, this is your luck. This is your ghost. Without his mask, he's just an idiot who can hardly tie his shoelaces. <laughs> it's all your fault, Walter Plinge. Yes, Mr. Salzella. No, Salzella looked around. No one would believe Walter Plinge. Even Walter Plinge gets confused about the things Walter Plinge sees. Even his mother was afraid he might have murdered people. People could accept just about anything of a Walter Plinge. There was a steady tapping noise. The trap door opened beside Salzella. A pointy hat appeared, slowly, followed by the rest of Granny Weatherwax with her arms folded. She glared at Salzella as the floor clicked into place. Her foot stopped tapping on the boards. Well, well, he said, Lady Esmeralda, eh? I'm stopping being a lady, Mr. Salzella. He glanced up at the pointy hat. So you are a witch instead? Yes, indeed. A bad witch, no doubt. Worse. But this, said Salzella, is a sword. Everyone knows witches can't magic iron and steel. Get out of my way. The sword hissed down. Granny thrust out her hand. There was a blur of flesh and steel, and she held the sword by the blade. Tell you what, Mr. Salzella, she said levelly, it ought to be Walter Plinge who finishes this, eh? It's him you harmed, apart from the ones you murdered, of course. You didn't need to do that. But you wore a mask, didn't you? There's a kind of magic in masks. Masks conceal one face, but they reveal another. The one that only comes out in darkness. I bet you could do just what you liked behind a mask. Salzella blinked at her. He pulled on his sword, tugged hard on a sharp blade held in an unprotected hand. There was a groan from several members of the chorus. Granny grinned. Her knuckles whitened as she redoubled her grip. She turned her head towards Walter Plinge. Put your mask on, Walter. 
Everyone looked down at the crumpled cardboard on the stage. Don't have one any more, Mistress Weatherwax. Granny followed his gaze. Oh, dearie, dearie me, she said. Well, I can see we shall have to do something about that. Look at me, Walter. He did as he was told. Granny's eyes half closed. You trust Perdita, don't you, Walter? Yes, Mistress Weatherwax. That's good, because she's got a new mask for you, Walter Plinge. A magic one. It's just like your old one, you see, only you wear it under your skin. And you don't have to take it off, and no one but you will ever need to know it's there. Got it, Perdita? But I... Got it? Uh, oh, yes, here it is, yes, I've got it in my hand. She waved an empty hand vaguely. You're holding it the wrong way up, my girl. Oh, sorry. Well, give it to him then. Er, uh, yes. Agnes advanced on Walter. Now you take it, Walter, said Granny, still gripping the sword. Yes, Mistress Weatherwax. He reached out towards Agnes. As he did so, she was sure that just for a moment there was a faint pressure on her fingertips. Well, put it on. Walter looked uncertain. "'You do believe there's a mask there, don't you, Walter?' Granny demanded. "'Perdita's sensible, and she knows an invisible mask when she sees one.' He nodded slowly and raised his hands to his face. And Agnes was sure that he'd somehow come into focus. Almost certainly nothing had happened that could be measured with any kind of instrument, any more than you could weigh an idea or sell good fortune by the yard. But Walter stood up, smiling faintly. "'Good!' said Granny. She stared at Salzella. "'I reckon you two should fight again,' she said. "'But it can't be said I'm unfair. I expect you've got a ghost mask somewhere. Mrs Ogg saw you waving it, see, and she's not as gormless as she looks.' "'Thank you,' said a fat ballerina. So she thought, how could people still say afterwards that they'd seen the ghost? "'Cause that's how you recognise the ghost, by his mask. "'So there's two masks.' Under her gaze, telling himself that he could resist any time he wanted to, Salzella reached into his jacket and produced his own mask. Put it on, then, she let go of the sword. Then who you are can fight who he is. Down in the pit, the percussionist stared as his sticks rose and began a drum roll. Are you doing that, Githa? said Granny Weatherwax. I thought you were. It's opera, then. The show must go on. Walter Plinge raised his sword. The masked Salzella glanced from him to Granny and then lunged. The swords met. It was, Agnes realised, stage fighting. The swords clashed and rattled as the fighters danced back and forth across the stage. Walter wasn't trying to hit Salzella. Every thrust was parried. Every opportunity to strike back, as the director of music grew more angry, was ignored. This isn't fighting, Salzella shouted, standing back. This is Walter Thrust. Salzella staggered away until he cannoned into Nanny Og. He lurched sideways, then he staggered forward, dropped onto one knee, got unsteadily to his feet again, and staggered into the centre of the stage. "'Whatever happens,' he gasped, wrenching off his mask, "'it can't be worse than a season of opera. "'I don't mind where I'm going so long as there are no fat men "'pretending to be thin boys and no huge long.' songs which everyone says are so beautiful just because they don't understand what the hell they're actually about. Ah, ah. He slumped to the floor. But Walter didn't, Agnes began. Shut up, said Nanny Og out of the corner of her mouth. 
But he, he hasn't, Bucket began. Incidentally, another thing I can't stand about opera, said Salzella, rising to his feet and reeling crabwise towards the curtains, are the plots. They make no sense, and no one ever says so. And the quality of the acting? It's non-existent. Everyone stands around watching the person who's singing. Ye gods, it's going to be a relief to put that behind. Ah. 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 He slumped to the floor. Is that it? said Nanny. Shouldn't think so, said Granny Weatherwax. As for the people who attend opera, said Salzella, struggling upright again and staggering sideways, I think I just possibly hate them even worse. They're so ignorant. There's hardly a one of them out there who knows the first thing about music. They go on about tunes. They spend all day endeavouring to be sensible human beings and then they walk in here and they leave their intelligence on a nail by the door. Then why didn't you just leave, snapped Agnes. If you'd stolen all this money, why didn't you just go away somewhere if you hated it so much? Salzella stared at her while swaying back and forth. His mouth opened and shut once or twice, as if he were trying out unfamiliar words. Leave? he managed. Leave? Leave the opera? Uh, uh, uh. He hit the floor again. Andre prodded the fallen director. Is he dead yet? he said. How can he be dead? said Agnes. Good grief. Can't anyone see that? You know what really gets me down? said Salzella, rising to his knees. Is the way that in opera everyone takes such a long time to... Uh, 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 oh. He keeled over. 